Welcome to episode 157 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast about using, learning, and sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Whether you're a noob or master sudoer, we welcome you. I'm Ryan, and with me today are the hardware addicts of Linux. It's almost like we planned it. We have a new podcast out, Hardware Addicts, and just the hosts here of Hardware Addicts happen to be in this room. So we have Michael and Wendy. Before we get into what we've been up to this week, just a quick update on where Zeb and Noah are at today. Zeb is still grieving the loss of his friend Mark Greaves of Peppermint OS, so he needs a few weeks. Um, We will be covering the news later in the show with Peppermint OS, but Zeb was very close to that project and very close to Mark, so obviously this has impacted him deeply, and uh, we look forward to his return in the future. Noah, on the other hand, is busy playing with Windows machines it turns out. And I'm not even making this up. Naturally. I'm not even trolling you people. The guy who loves Linux, Linux first, messages us this morning and says, hey, I'm at a client's business working on Windows machines. Um, Apparently, they all crashed and he still (laughs) had 13 VMs to install or something along those lines with Windows. So, I mean, we all know Noah is known throughout the country as the leading Windows expert. So good luck to him on his work there. So thankfully, our hardware addicts host and professional photographer, Wendy, was able to jump into their place. So thank you, Wendy, for joining us last minute again for another episode of Destination Linux. And what's been new in your world this week? Well, I've actually finally started working on my website again this week. So I got a domain name purchase and I've started getting all that put together. I do not envy Michael at all. Website building is such an amazing time suck. Holy crap. But we're getting there. Eventually, there will be somewhere for people to go again instead of a blank, there's nothing here page. (laughs) Nice. And where do they go if they want to check out some of your photography today? So there are a couple images up now on my new site. It is designbytesstudio.com. Nice. Very cool. Well, Michael, what have you been up to this week? Well, I've been doing uh, quite a few things. Uh, Actually, today it was a a monstrous amount of work I had to do to make sure that the show was going to be made. Uh, so well, news is you're into extreme distro hopping. Yes. So extreme, uh, yes. Distro, extreme hopping. distro hopping that was forced upon me by my system. So I don't know what happened, but somehow my my system started freezing up when I was using OBS, and then I did it like three or four times, and so I just gave up and decided to switch to a different system, and hopefully I could configure everything in time. Uh, that was not the case. Uh, it took an extra hour <laughs> for me to configure everything. But, I mean, you kind of teased us, though. You said, hey, uh, I'm just going to go. I'm going to install Pure Arch. And then you came back <laughs> and you yeah. were on OpenSUSE. So right. you, you, Nate is very happy, to say the least, about your movie. Very happy. Yes. I wish I could have seen the look on his face when Michael said, I know. I'm not on Arch. I'm yeah. on OpenSUSE. It was, it was kind of funny because I intended to <laughs> set up Arch. And then uh, when I was in the process of booting the system to the live stream or to the live USB, I mean, I saw that I put the drive I put in to be wiped was an OpenSUSE drive. And I was like, I'm just going with OpenSUSE then. And uh, then I just configured it and it already had plasma. It already had so many things that I was going to set up anyway. And it made the process so much easier. And uh, even though there was, even though this is install is quite old and all the packages on this, this, this install 
are, I don't know, months old. It said that I had like 1,200 files that need to be updated or packages that need to be updated. And I chose not to. And I chose to just install the packages I need and see what happens. And so, I mean, I'm glad to say that so far it has been fine. I think that's well, not a only that you're running system. some ridiculously old, outdated version of it, right? Yeah, it's an old version of Tumbleweed, the one that's supposed to be constantly updated. It's not updated <laughs> by like months, and I install and I still was able to install things. It said you might not want to do this, and I was like, no, I do want to do this, and it still worked. So, like, that's a testament nice. to OpenSUSE, and uh, yeah, so I am very happy with what I have right now that it is working and we're good to go. Um, so yeah, there's also a lot of other things I did this week in the sense of, uh, I convert, I finally switched to the latest version of Caden live. I was on the old version for like a year after it came out with the new version. Well, maybe not a full Wait, year, what? but yeah. Okay. So this is a thing people, Michael doesn't update like he <laughs> Debian moves too fast for Michael. It's like, he needs something slower than, than, that updates maybe once every 10, 15 yeah. years. I'm just going to use Red Hat. So like old Tumbleweed Noah. is completely fitting for him. It just yeah. kind of... As long as he matches. never updates it, it'll be fitting for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of like that. And it's it's, it's ridiculous, <laughs> I, I admit now. But uh, the the reason I didn't switch away because uh, Caden Live had changed their workflow so much that it and the, and the way the XML was written so much that it broke some automation scripts that I built for the previous version... And I never took the process to actually do it and do the automation. And I said this on one of the shows before, and one of the community members' hats sent me uh, a, a message on Telegram, and he said, "Hey, I'll help you with you know rewrite write the bash script for the new version." I was like, "All right, cool, that's great." So I sent him the file that I had. He sent me back the newer version, and it totally solved the problem and all of the stuff worked. I had to like tweak Thank a few things. Thank goodness for our community. You know? Yes, absolutely. No kidding. I had to tweak That's a few so awesome. things because uh, he was just doing off theory of what I told him how it worked. And then once, like, but he like got it 95% to what it needed to be. And it was, it's fantastic. It made the process so much easier. And I just wanted to thank him for, you know, putting that much effort into it. So, Very yeah. cool. Very cool. So, so what have you been up to this week, Ryan? Well, we have a new podcast on the network called Hardware Addicts, and we released it this week, at least kind of a partial release, you know, a little behind the scenes release because it hasn't fed through all the players yet out there. But a lot of people have been able to get some sneak peek that are hanging out in our Telegram group, which, by the way, they heard our call because now we're over 1,200 people in there. So if you are not a part of Destination Linux Telegram group, you need to be. That's where all the action happens we have released that episode. It's getting a lot of love. Michael has given me some numbers today. It looks like a lot of people are really interested in this. So this is a podcast. If you're addicted to hardware, computer hardware and technology, this is for you. It has Wendy on it. So you don't have to listen to me talk the whole time and you don't have to listen to Michael talk the whole time. You get a new fresh voice in there uh, of someone who loves hardware as much as we do. It brings you all the latest trends. We put brain fillers in there the whole time. So it's meant so you can learn something while you're listening to the podcast about hardware, understand all those things like nanometers and gigabytes and, you know, gigahertz and pool rates and all of the different things in hardware that people talk about. We discuss, does it matter? What is it? And how you can get the most out of your physical technology that powers this addiction. Therefore, yeah. Hardware Addicts is out. So it's a pretty cool podcast. First I, episode. 
you want to check it out. Yeah, I just want to say real quick, the uh, the thing about learning from the podcast, one of the main points of the podcast for me is that I'm not a hardware person, but I want to be. So this is a way for me to, you know, be, be taught the stuff that I want to know in a fun way. So if you are in the same position as me, it's a, a, a I think it's definitely a podcast you should check out because you can join me on the quest to be to stop being a hardware Padawan and become a hardware Jedi. <laughs> There you go. And what was funny about this is it literally kind of flips this script on the show because when I joined, I hadn't, you know, I was very new to Linux, even when I started in Destination Linux podcast. So I was complete noob. And now I get to be a little bit more experienced than Michael and he gets to be the noob. So it does flip the script entirely, yeah. which changes is, the which dynamic a cool. lot. Yeah. yeah, that's fun because a lot of times he'll be like, you know about this thing. And no, no, I do not. Let's let's. So now he knows how I felt half the time when he'd be like, Ryan, why did you make that dumb statement? I'll edit it out for you. But now let me teach you why you were wrong. So, and I'm definitely somewhere in the the middle, and definitely the one who's more focused on budget. So, what can you get for the best price? Where do you hit diminishing returns? That's that's exactly where I am on the hardware side. So there, my favorite thing about this podcast is not only did we get to talk hardware. There's three different voices in three different stages, and it makes such a fun conversation. The show absolutely. really is a great conversation about hardware and why we love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So what else so, were you doing? Uh, on I, I saw you post a video on your channel, Ryan, about Lenovo. So give us more. Well, money. you did too, and you didn't even talk about yours. So we're going to have to go back and forth here <laughs> uh, a little bit. Okay, because, fair, fair, fair. You know, there's a box sitting behind you of something that I think people are That's very true. interested in. But I did a video on the Lenovo IdeaPad Flex. Now, keep in mind, you got to have all those words in there because there's Lenovo IdeaPad, and then there's Lenovo IdeaPad Flex which is basically the tablet version where you can fold it in half and turn it into a tablet mode or keep it in A-frame and draw on this laptop. And it's a 2019. It runs a Ryzen 3500U. And I thought, let's see if this thing can Linux because a lot of people ask me on any touchscreen laptops, can you draw on it and all that stuff. Unfortunately for the community, I have zero drawing talent. But thankfully for the community, somebody made $500,000 stapling a banana to a wall and called that art. And so he's an artist. So I figure anything I draw on the thing is equivalent to stapling <laughs> a banana to a wall. That really did happen. So anyways, in this video, I do some drawing on it, show you the thanks to the Wacom built-in drivers and things, what you can do with this tablet. Yes, it runs Linux. It runs it beautifully, utilizing Endeavor, Endeavor OS. So check that video out if you're interested in seeing some of the newer laptops out there running Linux. But Michael, you got something pretty cool there yourself this week. Yeah, I did an unboxing for the Kubuntu Focus laptop, which is a, a partnership between Mindshare Management, Tuxedo Computers, and the Kubuntu Project, where you can get a laptop, a very high-end laptop, that comes pre-installed with Kubuntu. And there's a lot of customizations and stuff that they do on it as well. And they do like a, a lot of uh, optimizations to make sure that the system runs well on the laptop. And so far I've been playing with it and it is very nice. I mean, obviously there's gonna be some you know issues here and there because there's nothing's perfect, but this is a really nice uh, laptop. I mean, the power of this thing is, you know, it's just insane for a laptop to have this much power. So it's got like 32 gigs of RAM. It's got like a i7 processor and a 2060 
a graphics card. Like it's a beast. Nice. So you're going to have more follow-up videos coming out on that as well, right? I'll be doing at least one more because there's going to be a review video. I might do something else. Um, I'll have to talk to the Kubuntu Focus people to find out if they'll allow me to do certain things, but we'll see. (laughs) Because I kind of want to take uh, in the footsteps of Ryan and do a little bit of a small teardown, not to the level of Ryan, but we'll see what happens. (laughs) You know, it's it's so funny, the videos that stick with people. I get the Pinebook Pro, I tear it apart on a live video, and everyone freaks out. But I love that you're wanting to follow in those footsteps. I mean, how else are you going to know what's inside it if you don't take it apart? Exactly. And it also is is another piece of that can be used for hardware addicts. So there's that. Exactly. Awesome. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It is optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. That's right. You get customer support even at the lowest tier of $5 per month, or you can use the flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. And as I say, that is darn near free. DigitalOcean has over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software languages and frameworks. I've used these even for things outside of DigitalOcean to get things running because the tutorials are so good out there. You can get started on DigitalOcean for one month free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash DL. Now, Michael, there's a rumor out there that if, and I don't know how long this will last, but it may be even up to a $100 credit right now. Yeah, the last time I checked it, it was uh, two months for $100. And uh, I'm not sure exactly if they're, you know, you know, so what's, that's, that's the thing we had previously. And then they decided to switch to 50 and then I switch it back to 100. They're switching but, it back to 100. But so we don't have a conf- have- confirmation for how long this is going to stay. So just so you know. Right. But check out, go to do, type do.co slash DL right now. And at least at this moment, you're going to get $100 to play around with. For two uh, months. At the very least, you'll get $50 credit. But $100 to play around with at this moment anyways. And you're going to have a lot of fun. There is a lot of Linux learning you can do with that money. And one of the things that I get asked a lot is I've only been in Linux for, well, we just checked earlier in the episode. It's still three years. It's almost about to go on four years. How did I learn all of this stuff? Number one, Michael and people like that in the community. But number two, I did do a lot of spinning up of digital ocean servers and things and playing around to learn different commands and understand a lot of the things I was hearing on different podcasts and other things so that you know I could interpret it into a real world. So even if you don't have a specific purpose for a server just now, you can use these credits to go out there and start learning things about Linux. Now, don't go put your, if you're brand new, don't go put your personal data out there on this cloud that you don't know how to secure properly. It's something to play with, could be a playground, but something definitely you can learn a lot from doing. So again, we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. Head to do.co slash DL right now. In the community feedback this week, Matt writes into the show and says, Hi, DLN crew. I feel so inspired by your show and tune in every week. Thank you very much for that. When Ryan got the Pinebook Pro and reviewed it, I went and got one after Christmas. In in any case, my questions are about setting up a local lug. I plan to use a local coffee shop since I love coffee as well, naturally. Uh, He says, what are the steps you guys would recommend to go about setting up a lug? Do I need a website right away? A Twitter account? I've already set up a Discord chat, but I haven't advertised it for anything. 
He said, I would prefer to use only open source tech, but I realize that not everyone is using things like Matrix, IRC, Mastodon, and so forth. He says, thanks for the great show, Matt. So there's a couple things. Uh, we, Me and Ryan have both created a, a lug that we maintain and stuff. So there's, there's different, the different ways that we do it. And uh, so I will go ahead and tell you that in the terms of finding new people and getting people to discover you, there's a difference between uh, what you need to do to set it up and what will get to the most people's attention. And unfortunately, the most, the most attention is on meetup.com. And that is a premium service that you have to pay for. Uh, that's just where most people go to when they search for things like like local groups. It's not necessarily the best, and you don't have to do it, but it will generate more attention if you do. So, Ryan, how did you set up yours? Well, I use Get Together, which actually was your recommendation, uh, yeah. or you had found it back in the day. But Get Together is basically like the Meetup.com, but the open source variation of it, and it's you know it's a very good program to get people to come. Now, when I started my lug, I didn't have any expectations. It was really, it kind of just spawned out of nowhere. I, I went, I went and hung out with Bo and cause we realized we lived close together and, uh, we closed down a restaurant. We were sitting there talking so much. And then I thought, well, I want to hang out with Bo more often. And I think other people should hear these conversations. So I just put it out there and kind of advertised it a little bit. And, you know, people started coming and it kept growing and I kept growing out of space. And eventually one of the locals there, Brian, came and said, hey, I have a local business you can run it at and we'll have all the space you need. And you won't have to worry about continuing to get kicked out of places because the biggest frustration we had is these places at first would be like, hey, we'd love to have the business. But then you know, it starts to impact their business because all of a sudden 20 people pour into their place at one time and they can't handle it, especially with coffee shops. And I love your idea because mine actually is Linux and coffee. That's how it started. But eventually you do have to figure out what are you going to do when you grow? And if management changes or suddenly you, you get an agreement with the place and they don't want you there. But there are other shops around me that we also outgrew, but had standard conference rooms you could rent out. But then that starts costing you a lot of money too. So you start paying for this event. So you have to figure out some things. Are you going to ask people to donate to help you cover some of the costs? Are you going to you know, have provide food or coffee or cookies? Are you going to do presentations like your typical lug? Or are you going to do what mine is more of a hangout than it is your typical lug where you have official presentations and things like that going on? Uh, that's how I prefer it because I don't really want to make it feel like another day at work. But other people may want something more solidified where they're, you know, each month they are going through a very specific set of things. Mm -hmm. So it's really up to you how to set that. But I think get together is fine. Also, check out our discourse forums on destinationlinux.network. That's a great place to post and get the name out. And I know there's some work that Michael's been doing to figure out ways we could get more popularity in lugs. So yeah. be on the lookout for that in the future, too. Yeah, I'm working on something that I hoped it will be not announced pretty soon. Um, but uh, I'm excited, very excited about that. But uh, for those who are not aware, a lug, uh, thanks to NecoJet in the chat, he said that uh, you might want to explain it to people, so good point. Uh, lug is a local Linux user group, so Linux user group is what lug means, 
and it's just for people to meet uh, other people who use Linux. And also, if you are brand new to Linux and you want to get help, there are great places to find uh, people who who are willing to do hands-on because almost always the people in there would love to help people switch to Linux and every and try it out and everything like that. So uh, that's what the, that's what it is. And if you have one in your local area, uh, be sure to check uh, like you know check in and see if you do for like meetup or get together community. That's the website that we're t- for get togethers get together community, and uh, that's a really good service. It's an open source alternative to Meetup. It's very good, and I want to just kind of reiterate what uh, Ryan said. You don't have to do a presentation stuff. Some people like that, some people don't. So you could do like a mix and match if you want. But when I first started the working on the the lug that I I run, uh, we started doing it where it was just like a conversational thing, and we just kind of hang out. And we did a thing where we go to different restaurants, but we would actually like change around different restaurants. So every single time it was a different one. And it also meant that we didn't have to pay for a room. We would just pay for the food that we were going to get anyway. So it kind of made up for that kind of thing. And then we found that a lot of people wanted to do more presentation style and we kind of switched to that. So definitely if you like start as a more casual way, and if you want to do into a more, you know, a setting that's more like presentational or whatever that kind of thing would be uh you know something you might want to like switch into because that's a lot easier to do and also check out your local library because i found that my local library allows for uh free conference room usage so you might be able to find something like that in your area and uh, that would be a fantastic way to set up your lug and as far as like twitter and discord and stuff Make any any of those like all of those. It it is any the more marketing you can do, the more attention you can get it to, the bigger the lug will be. So as much as you want to do, uh, I would say stick to the free services when you first start using it, like Discord and that kind of thing. And uh, you know that's it. Or Telegram, and uh, you can feel free to go to the Destination Linux uh, Telegram group and let people know about your lug and how they can find information about it. Yeah, and one last point you bring up that I think was interesting. Make sure you let people know what kind of lug you're you're setting up if you are only wanting to talk to experienced users if it's something where you know you you want only experienced people and you're not really open to the new people then make sure you're very clear about that if you are open to new people then as the person who's running the lug it's your responsibility to make sure those new people feel welcome so you've got to make sure you introduce yourself introduce them to other people so that you're helping spread the positive message inside of linux uh, so if you're going to be open to new people, make sure that you're somebody who's or that you have somebody with you who's charismatic enough to introduce and learn names and talk to those new people and not make them feel bad for, you know, whatever distro or maybe they've never even touched Linux. Maybe they bring their Windows laptop in there. Make sure they feel welcome. And uh, that's that to me would be some of the best advice for running it because you don't want there. There are some times that even in local groups, some toxic people could show up and you have to be the one responsible to take care of that. Yeah. And you don't necessarily, uh, I agree completely with that, but you don't, you don't necessarily need a website. Cause I forgot to mention that he did ask specifically, do you need a website right away? You don't necessarily need one, but they are beneficial. Uh, I would say that at the very least you just get like a domain that you could point to something and then have that point to your get together.community page. And that would be totally fine. Ziggy writes us to say, as an end user without much development experience, the discussion on simply testing things with your hardware really struck me as something I'd like to help with. It would be great if there was a central hub we could go to and either look for devs asking for testing on specific hardware, perhaps even submit our hardware and get back suggestions on what we could be testing or who is looking for testing on our hardware. 
Do you have any suggestions for where to look? Thanks as always, the great podcast and stool banter. I love it. True fan of the show. <laughs> this is this one was a really good question, I thought, because there are mm-hmm. calls out there for testing that happen. But in general, I've not seen that I can think of a lot of testing where they're specifically like, hey, we want to improve, you know, um, la- these these specific laptops. We want to make sure these type of laptops work, or we want to make sure this type of CPU works, or we want people to test with these kind of machines. Now, you do see this very heavily in the gaming industry because I used to do testing for games. And when they would send you the list, they would say, hey, give us your specs of what machine you have, and then we will ping you if we need you for testing. So a lot of times I would get you know, different developers of games that would reach out to me because they wanted to test on my specific hardware setup that I had but they had created basically a huge list of people and the hardware that they had to determine what testing they were interested in doing at that time in a very organized approach. This is beta testing for games that they were going to release in the market. So I don't know if something like this exists in Linux. If it does, I would love to know because I'm not familiar with it. There were call-outs when 32-bit was dying. You know, distrust saying that they would save 32-bit if there were enough people testing it. But now that 32-bit is pretty close to dead across most Linux distros, I don't know. And sadly, there isn't a general hub. But if there is a distro you're interested in, you could always ask them if there's specific hardware that they need tested on. Because some, some people don't have multiple screens, multiple monitors. And if the devs are working on it don't have multiple monitors, but you do... That's hardware feedback that they can definitely use. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Like if th- th- I, I agree that I don't think there's uh, a hub. Uh, I would love for there to be one, some kind of thing like a community uh, effort to figure out like uh, a way to have a place for developers to go find what hardware they want to check on, like test on, and the people who have the hardware to want to you know offer that. That's something that maybe the DLN forum could. They help facilitate. Yeah. Anyway, the suggestion is go talk to your distro. Most of the time, they're going to be they love to have what anybody who's willing to help. Even if you have hardware that they also have, they want to have more people test it because they'll have a different experience with that hardware than the person who's developing for it anyway. So definitely go check out like what they. A lot of a lot of distros have to rely on automated testing. Maybe not have to. Maybe they prefer to rely on in some extent. But we know that isn't foolproof. We know there's a lot right. of things that that automation doesn't cover and so i you know i love the idea of somebody in the community wants to pick up the banner here to create something like ziggy's recommending where you compile a list of testers and their type of equipment and then maybe you host that for developers you have a whole list and say hey what kind of people are you looking for to test whatever you're releasing here's here's 500 that run amd here's you know 500 that run intel here's 500 use 1440p monitors here's you know 200 people that use dual monitors and then they could basically send a test iso out to those people and get feedback down give them specific instructions what they want to test i don't know because i don't you know i'm not somebody who has a distro out there if that would be something they would be looking for it makes sense they would but i would love to hear from uh any of the distro maintainers out there i know a lot of them listen to the show if that would be something that's useful because i think it would be pretty cool yeah absolutely yeah it would 
we love hearing from our worldwide community just like this with our feed, the feedback section. And we have if we have many ways your voice can be heard, so you can send us a short email or even a video that you that may be incorporated into the show. And if you do decide to send a video, just send it to comments at destinationlinux.org and make sure that the video is a minute or less because that way it'll fit into the show a lot easier. Uh, and if you want to have send any links or content or feedback or whatever, you can also use comments at destinationlinux.org to do that as well. I'm super excited because there's going to be another Destination Linux Network game night coming up on February 1st. They are also going to be raising money for the community-supported Free Geek. This is such an awesome charity. Game night is so cool. You can watch members of Destination Linux play, and you can even join in and play some of the games with the host from the Destination Linux Network. If you want more information, go to destinationlinux.network website. That'll have all of the awesome details. And there's going to be Zorin OS given away. Nice. The premium version of Zorin. The premium version of Zorin OS with contributions of $40 or more to Free Geek. Remember, that FreeGeek can also use the equipment that you're not using anymore, whether it's broken or not. They might be able to fix them or be able to get it recycled properly. Thank you to everyone who has helped spread the message on social media and supported this cause. It is such an amazing charity. Go to destinationlinux.network slash game night for more details. Can't wait to see you guys there. Nice. So before we get into the show, as far as like the news and everything, we wanted to take a moment to mention the recent loss of the lead developer of Peppermint OS, Mark Greaves. Uh, he is no longer with us, and our hearts are heavy with grief over this news. Uh, Mark's contributions to Linux and open, open source in general are just impossible to quantify. He's helped with not only Peppermint OS, but he's also contributed to MX Linux, Farron OS, and so many other things. And he's also been a big part of the community, and not only just the Linux community, the open source community, but also this the Destination Linux community in a lot of ways. He's actually he's a he's a he was a good friend with uh, Zeb. That's why Zeb is not available uh, for this episode. He wanted to take a, a, a week off, or at least to you know to grieve. This it's such a a, a difficult thing to discuss on a podcast, especially a podcast like ours, where we're you know constantly uh, bantering and bickering with each other. But we wanted to make sure you, that Mark's family is aware that the, so much, so many people in the community are are you know are going to miss him, and he was a very big, impactful person to the community. And uh, so he was incredibly gifted and a very kind and generous person that is going to be sorely missed. And as we get more information, uh, as some are in our community have reached out to the family to find out more uh, and not the ways that we can contribute to his family and help them, you know, you know, maybe like funeral arrangements and that kind of thing. So we'll post that information to our Telegram group and on the Destination Linux forums to let people know. Uh, there are many people posting information on the Peppermint forums, so please go and show your support there as well. And Zeb did pass along a message from Mark Greaves' wife, and she posted on the Peppermint forums. Hello everyone, my name is Jane, I'm Mark's wife. I would just like to say a massive thank you from myself and our two sons for all the wonderful messages you have written about Mark. We love talking to you all and helping everyone. You guys were like his second family. He was very proud of Peppermint. A friend of ours had a Peppermint clock done for him, which he loved. Also his mouse mat and wallet and had the Peppermint logo. We all will be wearing a Peppermint t-shirt when we have this funeral in honor of this wonderful man. 
Thank you once again for all your support. We have read your messages. It's lovely to see how he lo- how loved he was, and God bless you all. So obviously our thoughts go out to his family and everyone in the community that is dealing with this uh, situation because, you know, he was a big part of the community. And we just want to say once more, uh, thank you uh, for everything that you did for the community, Mark. And uh, we hope you rest in peace. And I also saw like there was a, a really great uh, statement on uh, the Biddle last night uh, by Thomas. He said something about that he read a, a a book that said that as long as the you know the the essence of someone is not gone as long as people remember that person and I think Mark will be definitely remembered for all the stuff he's been a, you know a part of in this community. The overall did an absolute fantastic tribute to him last night on Biddle or when when this releases this last Biddle that was out. So anybody. Um, if you haven't seen that, go back and watch that. There were so many wonderful things not only said about him, but I learned so much about involvement that he's done in the community. He was such a huge part. I never talked to him voice-wise, but he was always in so many of the chats that I was on, such an amazing member of the community. And I just want to say how proud I am of the Linux community, you know, looking at the messages and things on that forum and the love and the outpouring is just it's a beautiful thing for people to you know show their support from all around the world how vast the linux community is with such beautiful messages about how mark had impacted their lives in such a positive way with the work that he did so you're going to be missed and thank you for everything that you and your family have done for the community well we've got more to talk about zorin they have a new release i am so excited about this it's called Zorin Grid. Now, it's a tool that lets you help you set up, manage, and secure a fleet. So you're not talking about just one or two systems. You can do a bunch of distant systems, managing them all from one computer. This is targeting businesses, schools, organizations. So you make a change or you install an app. You make some policy, security policy updates. And then you can deploy it to everything in the system instead of manually having to go to each computer, apply those new security settings. This is so amazing. Yep, I agree. This this whole setup that they did here was such a... First of all, their website was very well done, which let's be honest, we don't always see that in the Linux community. We don't always see pretty websites. Um, they, you don't always see clear messages on what somebody's trying to deliver. And that became so clear to me when I started exploring because I don't use Linux in an enterprise environment where I have, you know, I have enough Linux machines that I could really consider it probably an enterprise <laughs> environment, but I don't manage them in that way. And so I started looking out there, well, what are the applications like this that have already been out there? And I uncovered things like Spacewalk and Red Hat Satellite. And then I hit my own for or my own Telegram group up for patrons and said, hey, what do people use today for Ubuntu base and things like that? And they mentioned landscape. So then you have things like Chef and Puppet for cloud-based solutions. But when I was looking at all of these different options, it's not that they weren't good and it's not that they're not powerful. And clearly I don't use them, so I can't speak to the power of them or what they do. But Certainly, I would say Zorin's website and presentation of exactly what it was, was the most easy to follow from somebody's perspective of somebody who doesn't do that. Meaning 
their GUI that was right there, the images they chose, the cleanness of the page. It wasn't confusing to me. Is this just a cloud solution or is this for local machines? Like it was the entire thing was just very well done. So some of the features set software updates, security patch policies, monitor computer status. It actually has icons on the bottom of all the computers you have attached to your network. So you can see them right there. Enforce security policies, keep track of software and hardware inventory. So you know what you have out there, which is very important in an enterprise environment, right? Somebody leaves, you have people leaving, coming, going. You need to know what hardware is out there, what hardware you need to get back. Um, set up desktop settings, remotely control machines, all of this through this Zorn OS grid. So I don't know if they based it on other technologies that are out there like Landscape, because Landscape looked pretty cool as well. But certainly it's beautiful, whatever they've done here. Uh, or whatever they used, or maybe they built it from scratch. It's absolutely beautiful and something that I think presents Linux in a very positive manner to businesses, small, medium, and enterprise businesses. And in fact, the reason they created it is because there was a specific government, I believe, that uses all Zorn OS, and they said, hey, we don't have any ability to manage this. So the Zorn team went out and created this solution here. But obviously, this will work for everybody from schools, other organizations, and things that can now utilize this. And the interface just looks so easy to navigate. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm dreaming, but it looks like I could go install <laughs> this thing and set up a bunch of machines and feel like a real admin in, in a couple of minutes the way it looks. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I like this That's approach. That's what I love the most about this is that it makes Linux so much easier to buy into these different environments and schools to be able to manage all of those computers because you're not mm-hmm. only talking about the computer lab and then the the computers are in every single classroom. It makes it so much easier for Linux to be part of all of these other different organizations or educational environments. I think you have to, we have to look at a way in my mind, when I think about how Microsoft, how Apple, how Google have targeted the school system so heavily, you have to figure out a way where how does Linux fit in into a school system environment? We enthusiasts can mm-hmm. see it, but right. things like this are building towards that goal of where you could see eventually a school system saying, okay, we can deploy Linux machines. And these are, you know, these kids are the future. That's why Microsoft and stuff gives a lot of their hardware, Google and things away to these schools to get the kids addicted to it. Because when they come out into the workforce, that's what they're going to be used to. That's what they're going to be looking for. And I have so many times where people come to me and even adults who are going back to college saying, I got this list from my professor. It says I have to have Microsoft Windows and I have to have Office. So there's no convincing them that, oh yeah, but you could still use only Office or LibreOffice. No, no, no. My professor said, this is what I need and that's what I'm going to use. So this stuff matters. This is what people are going to come out into the workforce with. And I think this is a step in that direction. It's not that these solutions haven't been out there. But again, in my limited testing, I'm no expert here. I'd love to hear from the community, those of you who are experts, what you think of it. But it looks like a very professional and easy to use solution that they've created here. Yeah, I, I would definitely well, like to hear about the Zora. professionals or the experts who are doing it because there's a there's I mean Chef and Puppet are very powerful and they've been around for a very long time and I've used them but they are also much more power user types 
because there's a different level of like whether or not the sys like the sysadmin could be using a, sh- a chef and puppet and all that. There's no issues there. But when you're trying to convince someone why they would want to do a deployment of Linux, if you can have a presentation in a marketing sense that's also useful, a GUI that when a an administrator can look at it and go, oh, that I could probably figure that out. That's not so bad. I think that yeah. is a another valuable pa- uh, piece that they that they're offering in this. Well, usually environments like that, they really don't have time to learn that much of a new thing. Mm -hmm. So if it's easier for them to adopt, easy for them to deploy, then it's far more likely to happen. And having a nice looking GUI definitely does that. Very much. Yeah. And if you go to ZoranOS.com slash grid and you go look at this web page, you could see that if somebody was doing research and you landed on this where whether you're a super experienced system administrator or you're you're not maybe the most uh, maybe you're not the most advanced system administrator and but you handle it for schools or other organizations you would look at this and go okay I could totally use this I get it tells you very simply and this is marketing I, and, and this is why you know people say well marketing's not everything marketing's not going to get Linux in the top and you know, sure, there are other things that have to be worked out too, but marketing is such a big deal. I mean, this is the pet, this is the pet rock thing, right? Why did pet rocks take off? Was it because pet rocks were really fun <laughs> pets to have in your pocket? No, because somebody marketed it, right? They did yep. a brilliant job. How many times do you see these stupid things like blankets with the hand holes in them and things that take off for <laughs> yeah. no reason? Yeah, it's because of marketing. They market it well. They get a bunch of people to get hype about it, and then it takes off. So you don't have to have the perfect product before you start marketing. In fact, rarely ever does that actually happen. Marketing allows you to overcome that so that you have the money and things coming in so that you can get to that perfect product, hopefully, eventually. You spend your money correctly in in the research of things, but it helps you kind of fill that gap in between. And I think this is one of the best looking websites I've seen for a Linux product ever. Yeah, honestly, I think that's that Zorin does take consideration. The marketing is a very important piece of their uh, their project and their service because marketing is a thing that is people not like think it it matters that much, but it's a fundamental piece of any of getting any growth of any project or any business or any any product, anything. Marketing is a very important thing. Because if people, even if you make this something that's fantastic and amazing and has no flaws whatsoever, if people don't know that it exists. It doesn't matter. So the, the when people say that marketing isn't that it is not that important for Linux, I would absolutely disagree. I think everything, every project that does anything that makes any software needs to take consideration that marketing is important. Maybe even not, maybe not as much as important. But I would, and from my opinion, I think they're both equal. The development and the marketing are equal. Uh, but there, it's definitely. Well, if you create the greatest product there. in the world, nobody knows about it. Nobody is it the greatest it. product in the world? Yeah. I mean, how many times have you seen companies lose in battles with other companies in an industry because one marketed better? Yes. I mean, y- you look at some of the things like even with Apple specifically, there there were times where you couldn't even cut and paste on the phone and, and Android had that feature for years, yet there were lines out the door for people wanting to grab an Apple product because Steve Jobs understood hype. He understood building a community. He understood building loyalty. Was there a better product out there? Yes, many would argue a hundred times so, especially during those early wars going on. But one knew how to market 
one really didn't and or one was so split up with different companies it really couldn't get in there so one had lines going out the door and everybody wanted it even as a status symbol that is part of marketing and yeah. in many ways and a lot of companies have better products but lose out to their competition because they have no idea how to market and i, I don't know i'm just very happy with zorin here and what they've done because i know there are other solutions that have already been out there but this is one of the best advertised solutions. And I looked at all the other websites for the other products that are like it. And I instantly felt my eyes glaze over. Like, what, what are we managing? Like, <laughs> am I managing a cloud? Yeah. Am I managing local machines? What, what is it? Yeah. it? Just tell me what it is. What does it do? So it was even hard for me to come up and say, is this actually a competitor to what Zorin Grid is? Because it took me so long to figure out what they were trying to say in their website. I was lost. Yeah, there's actually well, as Windows 7 is coming to an end. This is a great place, great true. time to drop a piece of software like this. It's a great time to say, hey, your Windows 7 machines are no longer supported. You can't stay on it for security reasons. Here's a way that you can still use that hardware, not have to spend so much money on investing in new hardware and get to deploy across all of these systems and keep them secure. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, was one more, two more things. One, uh, to, to reiterate on the Zorin thing that Ryan said, uh, the uh, the more that they actually get marketing. I did a, a presentation at the late at the self last year and Southeast Linux Fest, and in my that presentation was about marketing and open source in Linux. And one of my examples of doing marketing good was Zorin, and this is another example of them doing it. Where what I said, when the example I gave was that they have this thing called Zorin Connect. And Zorin Connect is essentially KDE Connect. They do some tweaks to it in the sense of like they have different features that they're working on and doing like an upstream thing with them. But they rebranded it because when you go to, because they use GNOME as the default DE for their system. And in order to use KDE Connect in GNOME, you have to install KDE Connect on your phone. You have to install the KDE Connect package on your system. Then you have to install the GS Connect uh, extension in the GNOME shell extension store thing. And you have to have all these pieces. And you have to know they, how they all connect in order to make it work. And they just said, we'll just rebrand it and make a Zorin Connect so it's just all the same thing and make it simple. And that is a, a fundamental thing that they get that a lot of people don't. And it's really good that they that they are taking consideration. In that you know, stuff. I was thinking back to, Michael, on their interview they did on Destination Linux. And before the interview, they sent us all keys to their premium Zorin OS. It's small things like that, too. Yeah. that make a big difference, right? So we yeah. all had the chance to check it out, to play with it, to understand it before the interview. Like They understand what they're doing in, in creating a presence with their their marketing here. And I, I just, I'm really, I'm really happy for what yeah. they're bringing to the Linux community. And I'm also proud of the community as a whole, even outside of Zorn for all of the Windows 7 to Wendy's point uh, messages out there on social media where people are saying in a really nice way, Hey, Windows 7, you people who are frustrated, don't want to go to 10, come to Ubuntu, come to Zorin, come to, you know, mm -hmm. everyone's doing their own little marketing kick here. I will say some people in the community, though, are killing it and ruining the ability to bring people over to Linux because sure of do. their comments of, oh, don't suggest Ubuntu, it's got to be Arch or it's got to be OpenSUSE or it's got to be this in the comments of people trying to advertise this. You are literally hurting Linux by putting stupid things like that out there on social media, let somebody advertise without having to have your bias come in and kind of ruin it. And if you want to talk about that type of stuff, maybe you want have some feeling towards one distro or another, do it within the Linux community of the people that are already there. 
don't make somebody looking from the outside see that and go, well, they don't have their stuff together. I'll just go back to Windows 10. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And I think there's a lot of issues where people will take like they'll take their opinion and apply it to everyone else. And I think that you can and you you can also do it in a you know a nice, polite way. You can tell them your opinion and just not be toxic about you know like you shouldn't use Ubuntu because it's not it's not real Linux or whatever nonsense that people say, which has happened. I've actually had people tell me that. Uh, but you know, or like you're not a real Linux user unless you use insert distro or whatever. That stuff is just not helpful and actually. And if you have no self control over that, then just don't do it on social media when somebody's trying to advertise <laughs> and push someone to Linux, right? Just say your little snippets in the Reddit forum or something. Like if you have to get it out of your system, go there, <laughs> please. Well, and some of those things are harder to deploy on mass. Like there's no way you'd want to deploy Arch on mass at a school district. Oh, Holy yeah. no. Not with that attitude. <laughs> 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 Let me do a vanilla Arch install on all 500 computers, one at a time. Ooh, ooh, that would be more painful than what Noah's going through right now. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so 2019 wasn't Intel's best year with all of the vulnerability mitigations and things that happened. However, hopefully we're all hoping, and I really mean that, even as an AMD fanboy that I've been called, because... If you don't have competition, nobody wins. You know, any of these companies that are going to dominate a market for years, let's say just in case AMD ends up just destroying everybody for the next five years, they're going to become crappy because they'll become complacent and the prices will go up and nobody will benefit. So I, I mean it when I say, I really hope Intel turns things around because we need the competition there. But 2020 isn't starting out well for Intel either, unfortunately. The Linux kernel recently picked up a mitigation package for Gen 7 integrated GPUs. This is Gen 7, so all those are saying, I have old equipment, this stuff doesn't bug me, blah, blah, blah. This impacts you as well. So if you're running Ivy Bridge or Haswell, built-in graphics, things are about to get slower for you. Chronix has done some testing and is basically saying that this vulnerability that they are patching is based on information disclosure issue due to insufficient control flow in certain data structures, I don't know exactly what that means, but <laughs> it sounds like things aren't, you know, controlling and flowing properly. But what <laughs> we do know... In the data structure. Yeah, in the data structure. Uh, what we do know is that the hit on performance for fixing this problem, this vulnerability, is a 58% drop in some cases uh, in the benchmark. So we're talking Ouch. not like 5% or a 10% hit, like we've seen with certain mitigations, a 58% hit. Intel is fixing this issue, which is good because some companies would be like, look, I mean, maybe it's, maybe somebody will get caught with the vulnerability or not, but we're just going to leave it out there because we don't want our name to be ruined and we're not going to patch it. But So they are patching it and maybe they'll be able to get less of an impact uh, out there as they improve some of the patching. But at least the benchmarks that have been done by Pharonix are showing that big of a hit in some of these cases. So you're going to be getting a lot less value for your money on some of these integrated GPUs, which as I understand it in the small, very small amount of statistics that we actually have on Linux and the hardware that people use, integrated GPUs are a big one for a lot of people. So I guess to have some good news here, Intel did release some new GPUs as well this week. And I don't think they're going to have this mitigation because it's a different manufacturing process. 
And this is their dedicated GPUs that I've been very excited about. And we talk about it on Hardware Addicts podcast in more detail. So be sure to check out that. But basically, it's their XE lineup that they have, their LP, their HP, and their HPC. Talk about marketing issues. Well, it's all in Hardware Addicts. Um, so go check that out. But so they do have some good news and things coming down the road. They also have their 10 nanometer uh, CPUs coming for laptops and things. And hopefully with this new manufacturing process, maybe some of these mitigations won't be there in the future, but that's all new hardware, you know, to, to take advantage of that. So not a good year, not a good start to the year for Intel so far. Yeah. Intel's been having some problems for the past couple of years. Cause I was, when we were, we were talking on hardware, I guess about the mitigations and stuff. And I was, I couldn't remember when this actually started, but I looked it up. The first like patch that was released was like December, 2017. Uh, so they've been having yeah. this issue for quite a while. And I, I expect this, you know, these issues to continue. And also AMD has some of the issues too, just not all of them. And uh, yeah, so there's, uh, I'm glad that they're fixing it. I'm glad they're working on the new, the dedicated GPU is really interesting. And we also have some more t- stuff about the next episode. So the first episode of Hardware Addicts, we talk about the details from CES. And in this next episode, we got even more uh, cool stuff from Intel's GPU line too. So up next in the news is Firefox has announced that they're going to be restructuring to prepare for future innovations. And that's a nice way of saying that they have done some layoffs. So for those who don't speak corporate, uh, they have fired about 70 people in their 1,000 employees. Uh, that's Laid off is what we say in corporate America, not fired. Oh. It's yeah, a nice like, way of saying they didn't do anything wrong. Right. The company can no longer keep them. Yeah. Oh. You're fired. It's typically you've messed up, and so you're out of there. Like every week when I tell you you're fired, Michael, that's because you're not doing something you're supposed to. Whereas if I said you're laid off, it just means, hey, we ran out of money. Right, but then you hire me back really quickly, so I'm confused. Yeah, because I can't do any of the stuff you're doing. Right. So. Okay. okay. And you're not getting paid for it, so yeah, I that guess too. it really doesn't that, matter if that you're too. fired or not. <laughs> the fact you do it for free helps. <laughs> yeah. So anyway... I, now I understand the corporate speak. I, I, as for, you know, when we said for those who don't understand corporate speak, I guess that's me. Uh, yeah. It's still sad news from a company that we would all rather see growing during this time. Uh, but Mozilla uh, made a statement. It says, from security and privacy network architecture to the surveillance economy, artificial intelligence, identi- identity systems, control over our data, decentralized web and content discovery and disinformation. Mozilla has a critical role to play in helping to create product solutions that address the challenges in these spaces. And they say, they go on to say that these products and services they, they will require significant investment. And therefore, they've had to make these difficult decisions to lay off some of their employees in order to do it and not fire them, lay them off. Uh, it looks like Mozilla underestimated the amount of time it would take to get revenue generating services to market, like the uh, the VPN stuff that they're doing and the other the other services they're going to be uh, setting up. With with Chromium monopolizing the browser market and the inability to make partnerships with privacy invasive companies like Facebook, they're trying to find a good direction to grow. And uh, you know, I, I I support them in the like in their efforts. Uh, this is an unfortunate situation, but it it makes sense that they have to do something to make sure that they can con- continue to sustain the organization and the company because Firefox is a fundamental important to the open source uh, I, I guess economy. And uh, especially to me, because I have been using Firefox since before it was called Firefox. It was called like Phoenix and Firebird and some other stuff at the time. Uh, I, you know, it's, this, is, this is unfortunate, but I have, the, I have faith in Firefox and what they're going to be doing. 
Yeah, you know, this is interesting from the perspective that it's going to take longer to get these revenue generating services to the market. We did an episode last year sometime, early last year, where we talked about what Firefox we think needs to do in order to really start being competitive in the market. And some of those ideas, not saying we spawned them, but some of those ideas they're either already working on or, or whatnot, and they were trying to produce them. One is like a VPN service uh, that they're working on. I think there's some secure lock services, maybe email, things like that. But Noah made the point during that episode, as I recall, that you know this is a company that if they released this type of stuff, we would all trust it. We would all pay for it and had integrated services. So it looks like they're going down that road because the browser market is closing in on them hard. We yeah. have to, you know, oh, yeah. I still see people, a lot of people in the Linux community pushing things like Brave and stuff and not saying it's a bad browser or anything, but they're all based on Chromium. Firefox is all kind of by itself at this point in the mm-hmm. browser market. Then because they're so focused on privacy and security, they can't go after the companies to sponsor them because people would be mad about it. Like for instance, if you if they had Facebook integrated in and different things, it's hard to generate money without having all those services integrated in deeper ways because those are the companies with the big pockets. So what they're trying to do is create some third-party services to bring revenue in. And then it's very difficult for companies to compete in this arena. A lot of times instead they'll make partnerships. You'll see companies go out there to integrate services like this, make partnerships, maybe do a rename or something, but really behind the scenes it's just Proton Mail or something along those lines that they attempt to do. It looks like Firefox is trying to create all this stuff from scratch, which is interesting. So some of it is using other things like uh I know if their VPN approach is using Proton VPN to do it. So nice. uh, there are some things where they are they are collaborating so they be able with various to cut services. Some time. Yeah. Yeah, that, cut that's some, one time, of some of their timetable in half by doing that. I think that's a smart move. Uh, but they do have to do this, find find a different way to bring revenue in because people aren't going to pay for a browser, right? And they've got a creative in the services that they develop to get people's interest in them. Thankfully, there's a lot more interest in privacy and security than there has been in the past. And so I think there is a market here. It's whether they can invest in it fast enough to you know not be beaten out by competition. Back to that marketing topic, they can make all of the fantastic services they want, but unless they're out there letting people know that these services are available, it doesn't matter what services they come up with. So there is going to be some, I guess, maybe battleground on a larger stage, some mass marketing that they're going to have to do for people to know that there's options. Yes. Yep. Also, I want to say a huge thanks to the companies out there like Canonical, that reached out in social media when they were seeing individuals say that they, you know, got their notice that this was their last day. Uh, and Canonical started posting, hey, we have job openings. Here they are, you know, apply for them, check them out. So they were taking care of their own in the community. And it was just very, I was very proud to see that. That is very cool. That's awesome. So Valve is up to something again. Now, let me make my case here. Well, it's really not my case. Gaming on Linux kind of made this case, but I'm following what they're putting down here. So Valve and Wine have taken gaming to a whole new level in 2019 for Linux. It's so cool to see there's some videos being worked on and things from the community showing the power of gaming on Linux that you'll see soon. And there's just, there's been a lot of great surprises since Proton and Wine have come together, Valve and Wine essentially, to make gaming on Linux very viable. So 
what are they going to do in 2020? Things are changing a lot in the architecture. At least companies hope it's going to change in the architecture. But your first clue that Valve is up to something is Valve is testing a new way to run Linux games through a specialized container system. So this is an interesting move. This feature would allow you to isolate games from the host system so older titles could easily run on newer distros. And I was thinking maybe, just maybe, this is an attempt for Valve to also circumvent the 32-bit dying off issue that they run because essentially it would be kind of like an emulation layer for the 32-bit games, which could be a thing. So we don't quite know what that's going to be, but that's one part of the clue. The second part of the clue is that the Steam Comp Manager is being worked on heavily all of a sudden out of nowhere. It's getting a bunch of drops and code and things out there, uh, and it's being renamed entirely to GameScope. This is looking to leverage both Vulkan and Wayland as the official compositing manager for SteamOS. So SteamOS really never took off. It never really gained Steam. <laughs> I see what I did there. Uh, but yes, some people I like see, it and I it. approve Dadgex. Nice, yes. So SteamOS, you know, it, it hasn't had the... I don't know anybody who runs SteamOS in any large way or for a long period of time. And it's kind of one of those products that's been sitting out there that I think has a ton of potential. And so it seems Valve realizes that too, and they're updating it for Wayland and of course the integration of leveraging Vulkan in there. So some are wondering if they are getting ready to pump up their Linux-based operating system or... Perhaps they're doing something with this Steam OS to get ready to release a cloud-based gaming service. Now, this is definitely going to be something we're going to be covering in the next hardware addicts of all of these cloud services and hardware services to integrate with them, to interact with the cloud services that are coming out. Everybody in the gaming market essentially is trying to do something in this arena right now, whether it's Microsoft and the Xbox, PlayStation, uh, individual studios are trying to create their own solutions. Everybody, Google Stadia, everybody's trying to compete in here. And Valve is a massive, giant beast with tons of money. I don't think they're just going to sit on their hands. And based on Valve's previous history, they're likely to heavily leverage Linux in this solution. So I'm pretty excited. 2020 might be another killer year for gaming on Linux. Yeah, I mean, this is like a one of the things. Like every time I see something new from Valve, it just makes me like it, when it, when Valve is in the news, it's like I can't wait to see what this is. It doesn't even matter. Like I don't have to read the headline; I just see the word Valve and like, yep, okay, we're good. Uh, and it's th- th- this is one of those things. Like uh, this, it seems like this could be another Proton. Like having the container system is one of the things that people didn't like were confused about. Like why does you know, why is this 32-bit such a big idea, a big deal? They could just do Flatpak or some kind of container. It's like, it's not that, it's not that simple, uh, but I, it is really cool that they were already working on this container thing anyway. So I do uh, like the fact that Valve is doing that. And I think if of all the companies that comes to, you know, gaming on this cloud concept, the entire, every single time I've had anybody talk about this and I've always gone, this is just the most ridiculous thing and I'm never going to do it. Unless Valve was to do it, because I think that they actually do, uh, you know, they do actually care about their customers. And when you do buy a game from them, you own that game. So if you if they had a a cloud service, they'd probably do it where you could download the game or not. And that would make it an an amazing offering that would just completely just, just in my opinion, would destroy the value of Stadia. We're counting on you, Valve. Bring it for 2020. Yeah. 
Yes. Well, and all of their contributions to open source, they've made wine better through their work on Proton. And there's games that my husband plays almost every single day that if it wasn't for this work, he wouldn't be playing. And so it's nice to know that there's a company that's innovating and has Linux in mind. Yeah, absolutely. It is funny watching my Steam profile and I'll see this game pop up that somebody in deep in the Linux community is playing. I'm like, I caught you. You're in Windows. I caught you. (laughs) But then I look at Proton and it's rated platinum. I'm like, dang it. Yeah. We're playing it like it's amazing how many <laughs> games now you can just play right there that all these top titles. So it's very cool. Yeah. And here's the thing: my daughter is a huge Sonic fan, massive Sonic fan, and nice. so she plays Sonic all the time on Linux through Proton. Love nice. It. Yeah. Proton yep. is like a such a such a game changer. Oh my gosh! You, <laughs> de- you you need a little like sparkle come off your tooth right when you say that. I will Ding. do that. I'll, yeah. I'll well, we'll see if I put any edit or not. Yeah. So our software spotlight this week is Veracrypt. So Veracrypt is a free and open source cross-platform encryption tool. You might know as there, there was a, a long time ago there was a project called TrueCrypt and it was discontinued. And these, this is a continuation of that. It's a fork of TrueCrypt that has been modernized and improved because TrueCrypt had like an issue where they felt like it wasn't the the encryption wasn't uh, you know reliable and they didn't want to continue anymore. So they decided not to. And in Veracrypt project, they decided to fork that and make sure that they could continue that. So providing an, a, a great open source option for people who want to do encryption in an easier way uh, than doing it like through massive levels of command structures and different, you know, stuff like that. So once you install it, you can create an encrypted container on your disk and, uh, you know, and encrypt all the contents in it. And you can also use it to encrypt a USB or external drives as well. So if you want to check out, check out the show notes to get a link to Veracrypt uh, as the software spotlight for this week. For our tips and tricks of the week, create your own answer bot in the terminal. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Sometimes when you want to run an update and something fails and you've got to rerun the update, you don't want to go through and answer yes to everything all over again. And you can, using a simple pipe, basically create an answer bot for you so you don't have to. For example, if you wanted to put yes in front of Pac-Man TAC SYU, so you do yes, you would use the pipe symbol and then space Pac-Man dash SYU, and you would do a whole system upgrade and anything that comes up, you would say yes to. Now, here's the cautionary tale. Do you want to do this all the time with everything? No, that would be completely unsafe to have everything being answered yes. But if it is something, let's say you had a random error, you you know, when you were doing a big process or something you're very familiar with. So maybe the update example isn't the best option unless in the middle of the update, after you've already done all the yeses, it failed, you could use it then. You don't want to use it for everything because that would be unsafe. But if you need an answer bot, this is a simple way to do it. So you can put yes or no and then put the pipe in front of it and then the command you want to run. And basically, it's going to automatically answer it on your behalf as if you were hitting Y on the keyboard or in on the keyboard. Yeah, And if you don't know what the pipe is, we'll have a in, in the show notes, we'll have an example list for everything you could try out. And because I'm in, we started, I told you about the issues with the old version of Tumbleweed that I had. I'm going to be doing yes pipe and updating with zipper later today. Perfect. I know. can't wait to see how this turns out. Yep. I'll this let, whole system's going to catch fire. 
maybe who knows who knows it's not ours though, or so he's gonna have fun. nate so excited because he's taken this old system not only recorded a destination linux show on it but then afterwards does this massive upgrade yeah and and also assuming yes on everything so yeah so. i love yeah, how the glowing. fact that i think michael's doing this just for the sake of making sure the deal and extend crew is nicer to him in their rebuttals because <laughs> you know that is just a bonus. That's it's a marketing <laughs> ploy. It's basically a marketing ploy, Michael. It could be. But it you know, be. he's all about the marketing. That's yeah, true. I'm switching to OpenSUSE <laughs> 2, DLN Extend, folks. <laughs> <clears throat> On it right now. It's so good. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know what happens in the next episode of the show to, you know, what we know, that whether or not the uh, rent, just assuming works, at least for in Tumbleweed. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want a behind-the-scenes pass into the making of the show and an opportunity to chat with us live, consider becoming a patron. Our patrons help keep this show going. Without them, this show would not have gone on for so long. So we want to especially thank all the patrons who supported this show, many throughout the years of all of the changes that we've had and they get special perks like access to the live recordings. So, or if they can make the show, they can listen to the show live and interact with us. If they can't, they get the unedited versions of the show that they can go back and watch and still hear all the banter and things that goes on behind the scenes that Michael edits out. The best part is you can join us for just a few dollars on Patreon or sponsors. To get more information, head to destinationlinux.org. You can become a part of the community by heading to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums. You can discuss the shows and the network and all the various things going on with our listeners around the world in one single place. If you're looking for more of a live chat, you can join us on our Telegram group. Thank you so much for listening to our call last week. We are now over 1,200 members in the community, so one of the largest Linux communities out there. So we encourage you if you're not part of that and you love this show, it's a great way to hang out with others and learn from them and network. So again, head to destinationlinux.network and learn more. We love hearing from you. Please get back to us and provide some feedback or ask any of your burning questions. Send video links or comments to our email address, comments at destinationlinux.org. Please try to keep your comments brief and we may include them in future episodes. And if you want some more content from us, the fun doesn't stop here. You can check out our content on our own channels. You can go to check out Ryan's content at youtube.com slash dosgeek, where he fills your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can check out Zeb's content by going to youtube.com slash zebbyboss, where you can find him streaming uh, games like Euro Truck Simulator and also doing sometimes uh, occasional Gentoo stream. Uh, you can check out my content at tuxdigital.com, where I do an in-depth weekly Linux news podcast, This Week in Linux, and other Linux-related content, most sometimes. And you can check out Noah's content by going to asknoahshow.com, where you'll find uh, his, his show or his weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. You can join him and, and call in, and he'll answer your Linux and text questions. And, also, and Windows questions, apparently. And apparently Windows questions, that's true, too. <laughs> and you can check out Wendy by going to thehardwareaddicts.org. She's on the bi the uh, biweekly podcast of Hardware Addicts, the part of the Destination Linux Network. So don't miss that, and uh, make sure to check out other Destination Linux Network shows like Linux for Everyone and Des DLN Extend podcasts as well. And be sure to remember to like that smash button and share the show on social media. In tribute to the passing of Mark Greaves of Peppermint OS, instead of our standard ending, we're going to have a moment of silence 
thoughts and prayers go out to Mark and his family.